From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And in this episode, we're going to be having a conversation with my friends, Adam and Andrea. Adam and Andrea live and serve in Asia with their family. They've served there for more than a decade and in many ways are models and examples of what it means to live your life faithfully for the Lord. They are passionate about Jesus and telling others about him. They love lost people and want to see the church planted and grow healthy all across cities in Asia. I've had the privilege and opportunity on on several occasions to visit with Adam and Andrea and to see their work firsthand. I'm always encouraged every time I have the opportunity to spend time with them, and I'm really excited for you to hear from them today. Adam and Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hey, woo! (laughs) Thanks, Paul. We appreciate that stellar intro. We're so excited. We're so thankful to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't you guys start by just telling us briefly about you and your family? All right. Well, we are Adam and Andrea, and um, we have two daughters. They're 11 and 13. Their names are Ashni and Dia. They were born here in Asia. And yeah, we've been living, we live in a a huge mega city that if you take the population of Florida and the population of Georgia and cram them all into one city, that's our city. (laughs) So we've been here about 16 years. Why don't you tell us about how you you got there? You know, how, I'm assuming you guys didn't, you weren't born and raised in that location. But you <laughs> moved from the States at some point in time. And, you, you know, you mentioned that you've been there for 16 years. So maybe go with us back a little bit and just kind of tell us, how did you end up in Asia? While I was in college, I went to a conference. And, and while I was at this conference, the speaker was like, you know, you need to be sharing the gospel with your unsaved friends. I'm like, yeah, of course, of course I'm going to do that. You know, But then I realized I was in a Christian bubble. I was surrounded by Christians. I was hanging out with Christians. I worked at a church. I was only around Christians and I didn't have any unsaved friends. And so God was like really putting it on my heart to start you know, to, to find some new <laughs> unsaved friends. I mean, I was at a secular university, but somehow I'd you know, found myself in a bubble. And so through that, I kept praying and God kept putting the fraternity house on the, on my heart that I would live next door to. I lived right next door to a fraternity house. And I was like, God, this is not my thing. I am not interested. This is weird, you know? And so I tried to get my guy friends to go over there, but they couldn't go over there because they weren't members. But, you know, of course, girls are allowed at any point in time. So I started to go over and bring desserts, bring brownies and, you know, share the gospel. And through that, I got to meet some people. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's combining her story and how uh, we also met. I was living in that fraternity at our secular university. I, I didn't grow up uh, going to church. I grew up uh, knowing a little bit about Jesus. I knew Christians in my school that I grew up with, but I didn't really feel like that I saw the good news Uh, lived out in any of them, or maybe in a way I really wasn't ready to understand. I visited church a couple times. My family uh, sort of left faith and religion up to me. They said, well, you figure it out on your own. And so I really didn't know what to believe. I felt like uh, I was an atheist that believed all religions were created by men just to control people, to becoming an agnostic. But deep down, 
still I felt something was missing. I felt very afraid, ashamed. And so in college, I joined a fraternity. I thought maybe the thing I'm missing are our brothers. You know, when I, when I visited the fraternity, they said, hey, we're brother this, brother that. I thought, well, maybe if I'm a part of a true brotherhood, I'll find uh, this courage, this peace that I'm missing. And so I got involved heavily into the party lifestyle, uh, began abusing alcohol uh, all the time because it felt like it gave me courage. It was a liquid courage, but over time, uh, it, would not, it wouldn't, wouldn't last. Every morning afterwards, I would feel worse than I did before. Uh, but then one day I met someone named Andrea who was <laughs> at the fraternity. She was in our pool room with brownies and she was telling people about Jesus. And so all of us would try to you know, coax her into coming with us to get drunk and do all this stuff. But she said, no, thank you. You know, I don't, I don't drink. I've never drank. But for us, it was so, she was so different. Something about uh, the way she, she behaved, but, but really it was her joy and her excitement and passion about life and her care for other people that was really attractive to me, not just to her, but something in her that I couldn't explain. And so I, I asked her, why are you so uh, happy? You know, why do you <laughs> care about other people? And so for me, it was all about how, who can I use to get something for me? And so uh, she shared with me about how, how Jesus changed her life and how Jesus is not a religion, but a living God who, with whom we can have a relationship. And it began to make sense. I feel like for the first time I could see Jesus and I could hear uh, the good news clearly where I was. Uh, it wasn't that I had to go to church to hear the gospel. The gospel came to me where I was comfortable. And so I gave my heart to Christ. I got plugged into a local church. And uh, we started working together at the Baptist uh, Collegiate Ministries there at our university. That's where uh, Andrea was already uh, heavily involved. Yeah, and when I was there, I spent most of my summers doing summer missions, like through the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. And one of the summers when I was there, I went to Hawaii the first summer I served. And um, while, while I was there, I, we were worshiping one night. We, there was a group of, you know, that I was with and they were from all different countries and they're all sitting there and they're all worshiping. And I said, goodness, this is what I need to do the rest of my life. I've been reading through acts that whole summer and I'm seeing all these people from all different countries, all worshiping and praising God. I'm like, yes, everyone needs to hear. I can't wait to see something like this, you know, in heaven from people from all different countries and cultures and, and places. And so from that day forward, I knew that God had called me to serve him in places where people hadn't heard before. As I began to learn about uh, missions and how God was using Andrea in other countries, I was blown away. I had never really been a part of anything that cared about others, let alone cared about people in other countries. Uh, Andrea had done these summer mission trips, and I thought, wow, I thought that's what all Christians did. Everybody goes overseas. Everybody goes and tells people about Jesus. And I began to do the same. Something happened inside of me as I began to give my heart to Christ. He began to fill me with his love for people in different cultures and different who looked different, who spoke different. And so I, I too got an opportunity through the uh, Baptist Collegiate Ministry in Florida uh, to go to Chad in North Africa. And so it was my first time going overseas. <laughs> And uh, it was way out of my comfort zone. And so we were doing uh, just a short summer trip, but we were doing basketball 
camps and medical clinics. And I was just heartbroken for how many people had never heard the gospel. They had not known about Jesus. Yet, I, looking back, I saw in my life how many times people had shared with me, how many churches I passed by, how many opportunities I had to hear, yet I rejected. And it felt unfair that I would have so many opportunities and not believe, whereas there are so many who are hungry and seeking God and praying to their gods and their religions, and yet they had just haven't heard the truth yet. And so God just gave me this, I don't know, a burden, a calling. And I can remember committing my, my heart and making a commitment to him saying, Lord, I will go anywhere you send me. I gave my life as just a blank check. Lord, I don't know where, but I'm ready to go and, and, and do what you want. But God made it clear that I was called to share the good news with people who have never heard. So from that point on, uh, we were good friends, but we were both realized we're called in the same direction. And of course, you know, Andrea was deeply attracted to me. Hey. So then we thought, <laughs> why not get married? And we had been yeah. courting for a couple of years and uh, we got married and then we started seminary along knowing that this was our track towards heading overseas to serve God as, as missionaries. Man, I love that story all the way back, you know, to growing <laughs> up in the church, not growing up in the church, fraternity house, introducing Christ, and then opportunities overseas to be kind of exposed, to kind of have your eyes open to lostness, and then just the Lord and your obedience to walk forward in faith and to trust Him as He leads you to the other side of the world. So we mentioned earlier that, that you guys live and serve in Asia, but Asia is a pretty broad place, and I want you guys to kind of zero in on, on the region or the area of the world where you serve. Tell us about that part of the world. Tell us what the people, the culture are like. Maybe what is the state of the church in that place? Well, we live in a mega city, which is definitely the capital city of our area. That's almost 30 million people. Every day, there's almost 2,000 people born and about 700 people die every day. It's 75% Hindu, 15% Muslim, 4% Sikh, almost 2% Buddhist, and almost 2% Jain. But Christianity is just a little above 1%. And of that amount, those who are Bible-believing followers of Jesus, it's less than half a percent. But I would say the culture is very colorful and passionate and hungry. If I could tell a story to kind of describe... I love getting haircuts where we live. <laughs> it's like a whole nother experience. You know, you pay $2 and it's almost like you went to a five-star spa where, you know, the guy is so talented at cutting hair and then they give you this head massage and face massage and they use a straight razor. In fact, that's where I started learning language our first year was just sitting in a barbershop all day, every day. You might not learn all the best language, but you definitely get a lot of language <laughs> practice because people are just sitting around talking. So anyway, I met this guy, Sanjay, uh, who's a great barber. And so we get to talk and he began to share with me about how he was very troubled. Uh, he was very faithful at following all the Hindu gods uh, and following the customs of his people. And he, he is an immigrant from his state in eastern part of the country and has come to the city. In fact, most of the people in our city are from other places. Uh, and so maybe 70%. And so he began to work in the city and his family after many years was able to come and join him along with his daughter, Rhea. 
Now, Sanjay had shared about how he was troubled by an evil spirit or, or something at night where it felt like ghosts or shadows were moving, and it caused him to have terrible fear and trembling. He began to abuse uh, drugs and alcohol, and no matter how many different idols or temples he would pray to or which doctors he would pay to help him, he was any, unable to find any relief. And so my heart was broken when he was telling me the story. He even said one night this goddess or this spirit came upon him and took control of him and caused him to throw himself off the third floor balcony. He said he landed on a car and he woke up and he wasn't hurt at all. But he realized that he was unable to sleep anymore, his lack of sleep, because at night this would happen. Now, this was very uh, strange. And so, but it was encouragement I was able to begin to share with him about about who can set him free? Who is Jesus? Who's the living God who has power over dark forces? And so he was so excited to hear about Jesus, but he said, I'm not ready to follow him because what will my people say? What will my community say? And in fact, this country is said to be the home of 330 million gods. But in my experience, there's really only truly one God and his name is what will people say? The greater fear is not necessarily what will my gods think, but what will people say if I follow Jesus? So he wasn't ready to give his heart to Jesus. But as I began to tell him about Jesus, he said, you know, my 10-year-old daughter, Rhea, she started going to church. She believes in Jesus. She prays only to Jesus. We try to make her pray to our gods and our idols, but she refuses. We would scold her and slap her, but still she refuses. I said, wow, that's that's interesting. That's disturbing. But he said, that's not the most interesting thing. At night, when I can't sleep, because these, these shadows are attacking me and these thoughts are, are torturing me, what I do is I lay under her bed. Somehow where she is, this evil can't touch me and I can sleep. So the only place I can sleep is under my daughter's bed who believes in Jesus. I said, Sanjay, don't you see that, that this light is living in her, this light of a living God, Jesus is living in her, and he can live in you too. Give your heart to him. But sadly, Sanjay still refused because of community pressure. In fact, he was less than 45 years old. He died of a heart attack. So this is just kind of an example of what maybe people are going through. I'm sure not everyone's story is like this, but in some way, people are, are stuck in bondage. Uh, to not only community expectations, but spiritual forces. And so that's a little bit about our city. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, that's a, a real life example to, you know, to dive a little bit deeper than the surface and to kind of, yeah, get a glimpse of of some of the things that people are battling, the ways in which the, the evil one is trying to to blind the eyes in many ways of, of unbelievers around the world. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, you mentioned earlier that you guys have been serving in this location for 16 years. And, and I know, because I know you all personally, that you both have, have during that time, have battled some, some pretty intense health issues. So I, I just wanted to, to see if you could share with us a little bit what that's been like. What have you learned walking through some of these health struggles while you've been serving there? Well, that's one of those things you, you don't want to have experienced. But <laughs> I remember one day, and we actually had some friends have to leave the field for medical reasons. And I remember standing on our balcony that day and praying, just passionately praying like, God, please don't ever 
make us have to leave because of medical reasons. Please keep us healthy and safe. And I was just really burdened to pray for that. And I was praying and praying, God, I don't want to have to leave the field for medical reasons or any reason really. But, but I, I was just really burdened to pray for that. And not even two weeks later, I all of a sudden started having this weird vertigo. I would get so dizzy. I couldn't even sit up without falling over. I would, I was really sick and I went to doctor after doctor. Nobody could figure out what was wrong. And after, um, gosh, maybe it was a month or so. Um, we finally found a doctor that diagnosed me. I had Meniere's disease, which is an autoimmune disease. And I was in bed for almost seven months with vertigo, like almost constant. I had a very severe case and, and it was just almost constant. And I'm like, God, this is exactly what I was praying against. Like, I remember that prayer, I, you know, we were praying and I, you know, I was talking and <laughs> I was like, don't you remember? This is what I didn't want. I don't want to have to leave for medical reasons. This is exactly what I didn't want. And so I was just really frustrated. I was like, God, why, why is this happening? You know, cause that's the first thing you do is you ask why, which, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, I just kept praying and praying and over time after about a year, I mean, and I had surgeries, I had, I saw many doctors, I had surgeries and medicine and, and, you know, some of the things helped a little bit, nothing was helping. And, and I just kept praying and praying and God started showing me um, different things about health and how I really needed, cause I was very, very unhealthy. You're researching is, too. Yeah. I was researching and I was just, you know, praying cause this was my fourth autoimmune disease. And I was like, this is just, this is not good, you know? And so I was so unhealthy. And, and so I just kept researching and learning and I started to see like, I need to just fix my health. I need to get healthy, you know? And so I completely changed my diet, changed how I did everything. And within just two weeks, all of my autoimmune diseases went in remission, completely in remission after like the most torturous year of my life. And so through that, we were able to actually get our whole family much healthier. The kids had some health issues and they went away. And so, you know, God really used that. And I was like, God, that's how you answered this prayer. Like you really did answer my prayer, but definitely not in the way I wanted or expected. But you, you helped us to be able to stay on the field because you taught us how to be healthy, how to live on the field in a way that we can live here because there's a lot of things not in our control. Like we can control eating and we can control, you know, being healthy and fit, but there's lots of things like parasites and things like that, that we can't control, which Adam experienced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Strangely, I think within the first year of moving here, maybe it was because it was hard to avoid drinking contaminated <laughs> water all the time but I struggled with having diarrhea all the time. Pretty much its nickname, you know, Montezuma's Revenge, Deli Belly, you name it. Uh, it was affecting me. And so I began to lose weight. I would you go to GRDA. doctor after doctor. Yeah. And they would diagnose things like, oh, you have Giardia or maybe you have tropical sprue or maybe you have. So they would give antibiotics, but two weeks later it would come back. And so it just kind of went on and on for 12 years. <laughs> And so sometimes it got really, really bad, losing weight, becoming anemic. Uh, and so for a few years, I gave up on going to doctors. Uh, the diet change definitely helped, like what Andrew was sharing. I stopped losing weight, but still no one could really figure out the source of the problem. Uh, but maybe three years ago, they found that I have an immune disorder. They had decided to check my immunity levels, and it turned out that I was getting reoccurring infections from parasites. Normally that these parasites, you would get infection and then they would, your body would fight it off on its own. It would go away. For some reason, my body stopped making those uh, antibodies in order to fight that off. And so it would just stick around. So my kids call Giardia Jerry because it's my best friend that just <laughs> never goes away. But 
But thankfully, uh, there was some, some immunotherapy treatment they began to give me. But I would say, uh, so I'm doing much better. Uh, definitely, my stomach has improved. The diet changes help. But through that, I think God has taught us so much more. I think by having to change what we eat, limit certain things that we wanted to eat, uh, God began to reveal in my heart places where I was disobedient, places where I wanted Jesus plus this and that, especially when I would become very angry or bitter at God. Hey, why can't I eat my favorite foods? I've always eaten what I want, when I want. I'm just not happy. And so it was such a, a challenge for me to realize, is Jesus enough for me? Is Jesus enough only if I can have Jesus plus this food or that food? <laughs> In fact, God really spoke to me uh, through uh, another person that I met. I love, like I said, going to barber shops, but my absolute favorite place to go are chai shops, little tea stalls that are everywhere uh, in our city. And it's such a great place to go and hang out because everybody from every class of life goes and stops by the tea stall because at least, you know, three or four times a day you have to drink tea. And it's like a real sweet, milky tea sometimes with it's like dessert <laughs> spices and stuff. But anyway, people sit there for about 10 or 15 minutes, drink their tea, and everybody kind of talks together. So I met this guy who is the chai seller. And he just sits on the ground and uh, I like to talk to them. So I asked him, hey, what do you think about, you know, what do you think about life? You know, what do you, what do you observe about people? That's what I asked him. He said, you know, people, if you have money, you can get away with anything. He said, I have, I've been selling tea right here, but it's not really illegal. And so the police will come and beat me, extort money. In fact, because of them beating me, I'm blind in my left eye. And from sitting over my little teapot all day, my feet are swollen and uh, my son, he's not studying. He goes, if you have money, you can get away with anything. And I said, you know, there's a judge who sees our life in heaven. And I told him about Jesus. And I told him the you know, story about the leprous man and how he reached out. He asked if, he, uh, if Jesus would be willing to reach out and, and heal him. But he said, no, 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 I, God doesn't love me. Jesus doesn't love me. In fact, if he did, I wouldn't be in this situation. And so I shared the gospel with him. And then I offered to pray for him. And as I was praying, I felt compelled, I don't know, to pray that he would have a dream. I don't normally do that, but that's what happened. So the next day I came back and it asked him, so how did you sleep? Did you have a dream? He goes, in fact, I did have a dream. Last night when I was sleeping, I saw this, this tree that was filled with fruit. And I felt so peace, so much peace, but I don't really understand what it means. I thought, well, I think Jesus is trying to get your attention. He said, you know, but I went to church for a month. I tried following Jesus for a month, but I got worse. My condition got even worse. So I know that Jesus doesn't love me. I said, but maybe the fruit you want is just to be healed. But maybe he wants to bring about a different fruit in your life. Look around you. And at that moment, as we looked around, there was at least a dozen people just standing there waiting for their tea as he's making it. We're talking, look, look how much fruit you can have. You can bring about abundant eternal life in each of these person's lives. You could connect them to this living God who loves them. He goes, yeah, but what about my swollen feet? What about my eye? That's the fruit that I want. 
And so it was dis discouraging at the time, but very convicting to me because I realized that there's so many things that I wanted. I wanted perfect health. I wanted to be able to eat all the foods I want. I wanted uh, to be able to play all the sports and, and do all the things I wanted. That was the fruit that I wanted, but maybe God wanted to bring about the fruit of people's souls through me. And thinking back, my stomach, yes, it's been very difficult. These parasites having to run to the bathroom 10 to 12 times a day, <laughs> but did it really stop me from bearing fruit that God had called me to do? Did it really stop me from telling people about Jesus, from learning the language, from teaching and training people, from telling this man? No, in fact, it probably helped me. Maybe if I was healthy in the way I wanted, maybe it would have kept me from sharing the gospel. Maybe I would be distracted doing something else. And so I think God has been teaching me so much through this uh, situation. In fact, later on, this guy got more sick, just to finish uh, telling you about the chai guy. Uh, in fact, the swelling spread from his legs all the way across his whole body. And I didn't notice until he wasn't at work one day. And I said, where is he? Oh, he's so sick. He, he's on dialysis, you know, like three times a week. So I went with a local pastor and found out he lives right next to a pastor in a church that we've been training. We went and visited him, and, uh, and we found out he's unable to drink tea anymore. Not only tea, but water even. He couldn't eat or drink anything. He had become so, so swollen, so sick. The doctors didn't give him much time to live. And so we shared the gospel again, and uh, we asked him if he was ready to give his heart to Jesus. He said yes. He and his three sons and his wife gave their hearts to Christ. And he said, let's have some tea. I said, but you can't drink tea. He's like, yeah, but my wife, she makes better tea than I will. She'll make you some. And so as we, she was making the tea, we said, can we pray for you again? And so we prayed that he would be able to drink water and not vomit. He kept throwing up everything he would eat or drink. And so he said, okay, I've been trying and trying, but I can't eat or drink anything. And the doctors think I'm not going to make it. So we prayed over the water, not that it would become holy water, but that he could digest it. And uh, he drank the water and it sat and it settled. And then he drank some more. And then sure enough, he's like, bring me some tea. <laughs> that was the first thing he wanted. <laughs> and so his wife brought him a cup of tea as well. And he was able to drink it fine. And uh, in fact, his health improved uh, and he, he began to uh, grow in his faith and share with others about Jesus. Praise the Lord. That is so encouraging just to hear, you know, the yeah, the, the steady flow of gospel conversations that, you know, at, at times brought back discouragement, but then in, in God's timing brought about salvation. And so we praise the Lord for that. Thanks for sharing that. I want to switch to kind of a, you know, we've talked about your health challenges, but I want to kind of zero in more on your work and talk about challenges in your work. What would you say, and I know there's, there's many, uh, so it's going to be hard to kind of narrow it down to one, but I really want you to try to narrow it down to one or two if you could. What would you guys say is the, the single biggest challenge that you face in your work? That's a very <laughs> difficult question. But as I prayed about, uh, as I pray about that, or prayed about that question, you sent it beforehand. Thank you. <laughs> I would say the biggest challenge is, is me. I think God is ready. He is willing. He's driving this train of the gospel and we're just holding on. You know, before we came, we're hearing about the nations. I kind of felt like they needed me. You know, I have something they need. God is calling me to help them, uh, which is true, but it's only part of the story. The longer I've been here, the, the more I realized that God sent me here, not just for my city and my people, but for me. He is changing me 
through them and through his word. And so the only real limit is, is sin in me. You know, the resources are in the harvest. You know, the gospel is not dependent on me coming. It's not going to stop when I leave. And so I think walking with Jesus, continually abiding in him, seeing places in my heart where there's still, I worship idols, still places in my heart where I'm selfish. I think these are really the only thing limiting me to giving more of myself because uh, he's ready. He's ready for each one of us to say yes at each moment. It's not like it gets easier to abide in Christ when you're overseas or, you know, we're still broken people, but the Lord is faithfully teaching us and using us. I'd say a big thing too is fear and not just with us, but with, you know, the, the national believers here, you know, being in the minority, a very small minority, there's a lot of fear. There's, there's the normal fear of like, what will people think? What will my neighbors say? What will all of that? But just the fear of, of doing anything outside of their comfort zone, or just even talking to people of other religions, you know, there's a, there's a, a constant, I can't think of the word, but everyone wants to be in like kind of within their community. Christians don't tend to go outside of their little Christian bubble, their Christian community. They tend to stay in. They're scared of the different religions and the same with the other religions. They're all scared of each other. So the fear can cause these, uh, you know, can keep people from going and sharing the gospel. And so I do ministry in the red light district in our city. And when I first started to go, I couldn't get anyone to come with me. I was burdened for that area because there were no Christians there sharing the gospel. It's this unreached group of of women that are there like prisoners. It's Unengaged almost like a, also. Yeah, there, it's almost there. like a prison ministry in a sense because they most of them can't leave. Some of them can, but most of them can't leave. They can't get out. They can't get even get any kind of access to the gospel. So somebody needed to go there. And so I was very burdened for that area because there's, you know, thousands and thousands of women there and but I couldn't find a national to go with me. I couldn't find a single person. I was, I could barely speak the language. And I was like, what, what am I going to do? I can't speak, but I couldn't get anyone to go with me. They were terrified. And so um, a journey girl decided to come with me and she didn't know any of the language. So I had barely anything. So I spent weeks memorizing a Bible story and memorizing the gospel. And so I went up and I would say, do you want to hear a story? I tell my memorized story, you know, share the memorized gospel. And then I'd just sit there and they'd say something back to me and I'd have no idea what they were saying. But I just felt really burdened. And I was like, God, you know, like this, <laughs> I need to be able to hear what they're saying. I need to be able to communicate like this isn't working. But, you know, I continued to go. And eventually um, one of my friends was like, okay, I think I want to try to go. And she was actually one of the local church pastor's wife. And because she started to come, people were like, okay, I don't have to worry about what people think because the pastor's wife is coming. I don't have to be as afraid because the pastor's wife's coming. And so it was almost like that just gave some courage to other ladies to come. So other ladies started to come with me and, and things, you know, really changed after that. But it's that fear of, of what will people think, the fear of the unknown, the fear of, you know, just being scared is, is a big barrier, I think, to reaching the lost. Thanks for sharing that. Andrea, maybe if you don't mind, just maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of your, your work and your ministry uh, in, in that particular area. Can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, yeah, what that work looks like now, maybe kind of some encouraging things that have happened over the last year or two as you've ministered in that context? 
Yeah. So uh, when I first started going, you know, I, I didn't have an idea of what it was going to end up looking like. I just felt burdened for the loss. You know, like I'm big on evangelism. So I was like, I just have to tell them and then we'll figure out the rest. You know, of course, that's, you know, I started to go. I start. I ended up with, a, you know, a few ladies that would come with me, but it still was just you know, disconnected. We'd share the gospel, but then we didn't know what to do next. You know, it was kind of like, we were like, well, let's, you know, because we didn't have that church connection. Right. So after some time, finally, one of my friends that I'd been doing ministry in a slum with, um, we'd actually started a church in a slum together. And, and so we had been doing ministry together for a few years. She was like, okay, I, she had been afraid. And she was like, you know, I, I think I want to come with you to the red light district. And so she came with me and she was like, there are so many people that don't know Jesus that need to know Jesus. And she was just burdened. And she said, we need to reach them, but we need the church to come alongside us. And I was like, yes, thank you. And so she, because of her, you know, influence in the church and her role in this local church, the pastor was like, yes, we need to do this. And so once the pastor got excited about it, he said, we are going to do this as a ministry of the church. We're going to reach this area. Well, of course, everyone freaked out because this is very like, you know, almost like scandalous because no members of the church want to be seen there. They don't want to go there. They're scared. They don't, you know, it's, it's a dirty, nasty place, you know? And so, but because the church came behind it, all of a sudden things started changing. I'd been going for almost 10 years at that point. And we just had, I mean, we had a few people come to faith, but it was very little fruit. But once the church got involved and came and all of a sudden we have, all of these, we called them brothels of peace. We had these, these homes <laughs> that would open up. The, even the madam of the brothel was like, yeah, come in. Come teach a Bible story every week. And so we'd come in and we'd teach the Bible. We'd sing some songs. And we'd go in all these. We had like three different brothels that we'd do this in every week. And so we started these groups in these brothels. But because it was connected to a church, they trusted us. And we had like a whole team that would come at this point. And so we'd bring a van on Sunday mornings pick up the ladies there and bring them to church. And so, you know, at first that was really awkward because people knew that they were from the red light district. It was a very awkward thing, but then people started to change the hearts of the people at church, you know, and they started to say, just love these ladies. And man, God just did some amazing things. One of the ladies from being beaten and thrown down some stairs at one point in her life, she had a hip issue and she needed a hip replacement. She could hardly move. And the church said, we are going to raise the money we had a bake sale and we raised the money and for her to have a hip replacement. I mean, just the church started getting behind them and just loving them. And a few of the ladies accepted Christ. A few of them got baptized. Many of them left the red light district. And, you know, it's just been really cool to see how once the church got involved, once, you know, the church was behind it, it, how things changed. And even, you know, over the COVID time, the government kind of shut down the whole red light district and made it you know, illegal because it is legal currently. But so many of these ladies couldn't even make any money. They had no way to make any money. They were just, you know, doing horribly. But God used the church members even to provide. One of them even moved in with one of the families of the church. And they said, you can come and move into our house and live with us and take care of our, our new baby. I mean, it was just amazing to see the growth and change once God's people, like his church became involved and was used to reach them. <laughs> Local ownership. Yeah. Man, I love hearing that, just the way God's at work in, in the lives and hearts of his people and his church really around the world. And yeah, even the kind of the, the picture of transformation that you saw in, in these local congregations and the ways in which they 
yeah, started having care and compassion uh, for these ladies, I think is encouraging to hear. So thanks for sharing a little bit more about that, Andrea. I want to switch to a question that's, you know, maybe a little bit more personal in nature, but we've already been pretty personal as we talked about (laughs) your friend, your friend, Jerry and other things Uh, like that. So we've, yeah, we've been been personal for a while, but this is really, yeah, for both of you. uh, It's a question I ask everybody that I interview. And here's the question day after day, week after week and month after month, what keeps you there in that place? And why are you giving your life to this work? <laughs> That's a good question. I keep asking, Lord, when are we going to be allowed to go home? No, I'm just kidding. It's no. a great, I would say. For me, it's God has called me here. I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. He, his calling hasn't changed, so I'm not going to change. And so I, I see the lostness and the burden and, and how I just can't not be here. <laughs> I mean, I think having a strong root system, you know, Andrea is definitely holds me grounded in Christ. I mean, of course, Christ is our foundation, but God has given me such an amazing helpmate. My wife keeps me connected not only to, to Christ, but to his calling. You know, each of us at different times struggle. We struggle uh, with being sick. We struggle with the pollution, with challenges, with uh, teaming, but we're always bringing each other back to what we were called to do. And some, there are people that move overseas, maybe they're seeking adventure or praise from men, or maybe it's an organizational priority, but they never last. Those things always get boring. And so for us, it's always been that we're working for an audience of one, that the Lord is the one we're trying to please. Because it's, it can even be a temptation that this people or this country is who, why we're here. But that's not really who we're called to. We're called to Jesus. And, you know, that hasn't changed. Of course, our, our role changes, our strategies change, our, our health changes, <laughs> our age changes. But, you know, the Lord doesn't change. And so continually seeking to please Him uh, is the only way that's been helpful for us to kind of navigate which way is up because things always change. And so continually seeking the Lord and what he wants, not just what people want has been uh, the thing to kind of bring us through many storms. <laughs> All right. Last question. Love to hear your thoughts. What is one thing that you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? <laughs> well, I would say, remember the compassion of Christ. Sometimes in this world these days, there's a lot of anger, you know, even if it's righteous anger, you know, I'm jealously angry that the worship that is due Jesus is being given to others or his truth is being changed or watered down or manipulated. And it reminded me of, uh, you know, Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, where Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and He was filled with compassion. He said, because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And if any word describes the traffic in our mega city, (laughs) it is sheep without a shepherd. If you've ever seen sheep running, it's it's way more chaotic than that. And uh, many times in such a place with so many people, it's very aggressive. Driving is aggressive. Speaking is aggressive. Every conversation is aggressive. But Jesus has this compassion for the lost. It's possible to come because of compassion. But when you get here, 
the aggression or the anger begins to affect our hearts. And so to keep going back to the, <clears throat> the compassion of Christ is how I found a shepherd. And so this compassion is what compels me every day to love people, to share the gospel. And when I'm talking to people, am I talking through the lens of the gospel with compassion or am I talking to them out of anger? Because it's possible to even try to evangelize people out of anger, to get into religious debates or to try to prove them wrong or prove yourself right or to maybe change the way they think so that God will get his righteous worship. He does deserve their worship, but no one is ever brought to faith through anger. In James 1.20, it says, the anger of man does not lead to the righteousness of God. So that would be my encouragement. Compassion, not anger, fulfills the Great Commission. Amen and amen. Thank you guys for your time. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Adam and Andrea today. Please pray for them, for their family, for their work there in Asia. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to Amazon to the Himalayas. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.